Y'all, my name is Grant Wilkie. I have a new life in Christ, and I am in recovery from pride, perfectionism, and performance. And this week, honestly, a little bit of depressive tendencies. Uh, Y'all, just to open up, I am absolutely overwhelmed right now. I was standing right there crying. Today's my birthday. (laughs) Uh, And... I don't, I don't share that for any attention, but five years ago, I, I just realized when I was sitting over there, five years ago today, I remember uh, at my birthday party falling in love with my wife, and uh, the combination of realizing that and Travis, the guy who just led worship, is my best friend in the world, and getting to do ministry with him, guys, there's just nowhere else I'd rather be than right here with you guys tonight, uh, celebrating five years of knowing Jesus. And uh, I wasted 20 years of my life running after the things of this world, running after things that could not satisfy. But what God has done in my life over the past five is unbelievable. And so I'd ask, do you know my Jesus? Do you know a Jesus that would save you, that would transform from death to life? A Jesus that would bring me here to be with you tonight? It's so, so humbling. So guys, thank you so much. I'm gonna go ahead and pray (laughs) so I can get my thoughts together, and then we'll jump in. God, you are good. Lord, thank you so much for your great love. Thank you for the fact that you've gone before us and for the fact that you've given me five years of following you, Lord. I pray for five, 10, 15, 20, Lord, whatever you have for me, just more life. And I pray that all of my friends here in this room tonight, Lord, would follow you together, Lord, would come alongside, and Lord, that we'd be able to walk together towards you. I pray that we'd, through this talk, we'd be able to understand how our uh, families of origin shape our lives. And Lord, that we'd be able to give our lives over to you out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And then we pray, amen. So uh, another fun fact about me, besides the fact that it's my birthday, is that I have a weird eye condition called stereo blindness. So if you guys don't know what that is, it means that I can only see out of one eye at a time. So I actually see the world in 2D rather than in 3D. Uh, when I was born, I had a lazy eye in my right eye. So my parents decided to go and have an eye surgery for me. So I went in and the doctor actually messed up my eye surgery, fixing my right eye and almost irrevocably destroying my left eye. And so my brain can't process both what's happening in my right eye and in my left eye. So what seeing the world in 2D actually means is that I don't have depth perception. And while that might not seem super, super important, it just means that I am extremely uncoordinated. Uh, Some things that this has led to in my life, number one, I was a terrible third baseman. Uh, (laughs) I lasted until about sixth grade. Uh, I'm terrible at parking cars, terrible at catching things, and now I don't have a lazy eye in my right eye, but I have a lazy eye in my left eye. And so if we get into long conversations, you might notice it. Uh, Please just give me grace. And I can't even wear contacts because if I do, it makes my lazy eye like 100 times worse and it's just super uh, embarrassing sometimes. And so because I can't see the world in 2D, I just want you to put yourself in, I can't see the world in 3D, I want you to put yourself in my shoes. Imagine you're a 10-year-old and your best friend calls, ring, 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 hey Grant, you wanna go watch Spy Kids 3D with me? Uh, no. Why not? Because I literally cannot. I can't. And it's just not very fun. And the reason I share that is because the way I see the world is entirely different than the way most people see the world. 
I have a limited, a broken, a distorted perspective on this world because of something physically wrong with me. A childhood experience led to uh, a distorted perspective, and oftentimes this distorted perspective leads to actions uh, like not being able to catch a ball that sometimes feel out of my control. And while these aren't sin issues, I think they make a really, really simple point that I see the world differently than the way around than the other people around me because of what I have been through. My perspective and the way that I see things impacts my life and the way that I live, the way that I interact with the people around me, and the way that I see God. And so as we go throughout the rest of our Family of Origin series, tonight my goal is to show how our distorted perspectives about God, about this world, and about ourselves show us uh, how we might fall into sin, how these distorted perspectives might lead us to sinful action and what we should do with that in response. So my three main takeaways for today are, number one, our distorted perspectives lead us to sin. Number two, that in response to sin, we often draw away from God. And number three, that in response to sin, God always draws near to us. So just to jump right in, our distorted perspectives lead us, uh, lead us to sin. Ephesians chapter four, verse 18 says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. When I hear this verse, the thing that immediately came to my mind, and some of you guys might not even know what I'm talking about, the thing that immediately comes to my mind is flat earthers. Do you guys know what that is? Flat earthers are people that believe that the earth is flat, not round. If there are any flat earthers out there, I'm really sorry because I'm about to roast you a little bit. Uh, but there is a Netflix documentary called Behind the Curve, and it's about the flat earther movement. And there's this moment where one of the researchers in the flat earth movement comes up with this experiment, and he says, okay, if this experiment gives us result A, that means the earth is flat. And if it gives us result B, which it can't, that means the world is round. So he conducts this experiment, and guess what happens? He gets result B, because the earth is round. And his response is so interesting, because he literally looks at the results and goes, that's interesting, and then goes on to explain how there was, the uh, experiment must have been faulty. There's no way this experiment could come back with that uh, because the earth isn't round. The earth is flat, even though the evidence that he's been being given shows that the earth is round. And I share that, number one, because it's kind of funny, uh, but number two, because this man's preconceptions about this world and about the way that this world worked were so strong that they were able to override real evidence. Because of his perspective, the flat earthers can deny truth and cling to lies, sometimes even knowingly. And Ephesians actually makes this connection. It says that because of people's hardness of heart or our unwillingness to accept truth, uh, this leads us to a darkened understanding or a belief in lies. And so just to make this practical, maybe as a child, you were bullied as a kid and you've always struggled with feeling accepted. And now, even though you have great friends, you have an awesome job and you have a girlfriend that's way out of your league, you still feel anxious, unwanted, 
and unsettled. Or maybe your dad was absent and unavailable or abusive, so you never learned how to trust a man. But now you're in a healthy and functioning marriage. But still in your marriage, you constantly doubt your husband's faithfulness, you desperately work for his approval, and you cling to control so he can't hurt you too. Regen, when you think about the hard things in your life, what response comes most naturally? What feels most natural? What draws your heart out towards action? Do you drink to cope with the pain that you feel? Because that's what you saw your mother do. Do you bottle up your emotions, never talking about anything hard or painful or sad or challenging because you never saw your family do it? What is your natural response because of the way that you were brought up? Our life experiences, for better or for worse, really do shape so much about the way that we live and the way that we respond to the world around us. And it shapes our perspective on our life. And our perspective, like Bryce shared so expertly last week, our our uh, perspective shapes and informs our actions. Uh, Here are some sad statistics. Did you guys know that families uh, that split apart Kids that are raised in divorced families are actually more likely to go on to get divorced themselves. Or children that were were abused growing up are more likely to go on and be abusers or be in abusive relationships later on. Or children that are raised in environments of anger and instability, uh, addiction, or fill in the blank, uh, they are more likely to engage in these same behaviors later on. That's because the way that we were raised actually matters. And not just in an emotional sense, not just in how we feel, how we see ourselves, but it really matters in the way that we live and interact with the world around us in a deeply practical sense. We are really screwed up. And so are our parents, and so are our kids. If you don't have kids yet, which I don't, they will be one day. (laughs) Because we all have broken worldviews, and we all sin. It's a part of life. We have distorted worldviews that lead us to believe false things that lead us to sin. And there are things we can do to mitigate these consequences, but there is nothing that can ultimately uh, take us out of that because we live in a broken, broken world. In conclusion, our distorted perspectives lead us to sin. And oftentimes, that sin in our lives fills us up with shame, with guilt, with pain, with denial, And our sin leads us to run away from God. In response to sin, we draw away from God. To get really personal with you guys, with myself, like I said, I am recovering from perfectionism. And I'm a highly functioning and recovering perfectionist. I work hard, and I work hard, and I work hard, and I work hard. And when I'm done with that, I work hard. And I can obsess over my image and my work, and it impacts every area of my life, not just my professional life. When I uh, I fail my wife, when I mess up, I can look at myself and beat myself up, and I say, I should have been better, and I obsess over it. When I mess up at work, oftentimes I feel shame and regret. I could have and I should have worked harder. Or when I skip a day and when I miss a day in my quiet time, trust me, <laughs> I do that sometimes as well. Uh, when, I, when I miss a day, oftentimes I feel shame and that, that God doesn't want me around. Because I feel like if I really loved God, then I would work harder. Then I would be able to please him. 
that I could be stronger and better for him. And I ask myself often, and as I was preparing for this message, what happened to make me like this? And I'd flip the question on, on you guys and just ask, when you were growing up, when you made mistakes, how did your parental influences or your authority figures respond? When I ask myself that question, when I made mistakes, how did my parents respond? I came up with a really interesting answer, and it's that they didn't. And what I mean by that isn't that my parents were ridiculously passive or that they didn't care about me, they didn't love me, so they let me do whatever I want. It's that I stopped making mistakes around my parents so that I wouldn't have to be corrected by them. I wasn't perfect, but I am, and I was a perfectionist. I remember when I was growing up, uh, I, I remember seeing my brother and my parents get into conflict sometimes. And my brother wasn't a bad kid, and my parents weren't crazy. But I remember watching this conflict sometimes and being terrified that it would happen to me too. And I could control what I could control. So if I didn't want to get in conflict with my parents, what could I do? Never make another mistake. So I worked hard. I got another A. And I succeeded. And I tried my best to make my parents proud. And I did everything I could to never disappoint them or else. Because I was terrified that if I just made one mistake, everything would fall apart. And this didn't build up any sort of intimacy in my relationship with my parents. It actually built a huge intimidation of rejection for me. Not intimacy, but intimidation. I became afraid of my parents. And if you knew my parents, I mean, my mom is the nicest, most hilarious person in the world. My dad is like Santa Claus plus Bill Clinton. That's what he looks like. And he's the kindest, jolliest man in the world. And I was terrified of failing them and upsetting them because I'd built up this image in my head. When I saw my initial sin, which was comparison with my brother and doubting my parents' love, it filled me with shame and fear. And these led me to perfectionism, to try harder and try harder and try harder. But instead of dealing with it, I didn't tell my parents about it. I just ran away. Not physically ran away, but emotionally and relationally ran away and just tried performing more and more. And as a foolish child, I isolated myself from the only people who could really help me with my problem. And like I said, this ended up laying roots of sin in my life that have continued to this day with my work-life balance, with the way that I interact with my wife, with my friends, the way that I live. I am a perfectionist. And I try every day and plead with God that he continue to heal me from it. When I saw my sin, I didn't deal with it. I ran away from it. And that is my story, Regen. And the reason I share that is because I think that's many of your stories as well. Maybe it doesn't look exactly the same, but maybe for you, maybe your dad was a drug addict. And the way that you learned to cope with pain was by seeking the next high or substance. And you're here because you're ashamed, but you don't know exactly what to do. And you might not even be here because you want to be here, but you're here because you know you should. Let me just say, I'm glad that you're here. Maybe you saw your mom cheat on your dad and divorce him and leave, and it terrified you. And you can't even imagine a healthy relationship with the other sex. So you cheat on the guy or the girl every time that you have a chance, 
And you run from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because you don't believe that you have it in you because you saw that your parents didn't have it in you. Having them. The reason I share all these is not to point out specific people, but to remind us and to remind myself that we are all broken. I am broken. You are broken. We are broken. But when we realize that, oftentimes our response isn't to admit it, but it's to run away from the problem. It's to deny, 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 and run as far away as we can get from admitting that we're broken and a perfect standard of God. And honestly, as I've been preparing this message, I've been really humbled, but it's really comforting to me to know that this isn't just my story. This isn't just your story, Regent, but this is actually the story that we see all throughout Scripture of man seeing his brokenness and running away from a perfect God who could save him, of running away from people who love him, who care about him, who want to help. Even when we look back to the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter three, we hear this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This is Adam and Eve disobeying the direct command of God. And it says, and both of their eyes were open, and then they knew that they were naked and ashamed. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So when Adam and Eve realize their sinfulness, the first thing they feel is actually shame. They see their nakedness and they are broken about it. They don't want to admit it to themselves, they don't want to admit it to each other, and they want to hide it as well as they can. And so they take these fig leaves and they make these loincloths and they cover themselves. They cover themselves. And to cover their shame, they might have used fig leaves, but like I shared with you, to cover my shame, I didn't have any fig leaves, but I used perfectionism and pride and performance. But that might not be your story. And so I would ask you to ask yourself, Regent. It's not pride, it's not perfectionism, it's not performance. What are the fig leaves you are using to hide your own shame? Have you, heard, have you turned to hyper-masculinity uh, so you can cover up your own insecurity? Are you codependent in your relationships so you might feel a little less lonely and ashamed of who you are? Whatever it is, I hope that you know and while you can cover yourself up with fig leaves, leaves ultimately blow in the wind. And so while you can cover your shame for a second, you can't cover it for long because they will blow away. You weren't meant to cover your own shame. Going on to the next idea in Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here we see a little bit of a different dynamic between Adam and Eve and God. Uh, in, in the verses before, you see that they feel this shame, but here you see that they actually start feeling guilt for their actions. They understand they've done something wrong, and they understand that, that judgment could be coming. And so instead of running to meet God as they had been throughout their entire creation, they actually run away from God and hide in the trees. And in the same way that Adam and Eve hid amongst the trees, uh, I went and hid from my parents relationally. And I distanced myself from them 
and I ran from them, and I would not let them in to see what was actually going on in my heart. I didn't tell my mom or my dad, who loved me more than anything, about my failures, my mistakes, my insecurities, and I hid from the very people that could actually help me, like a fool. And I'd ask you to ask yourself, Regen, what are the trees that you're hiding amongst to hide from yourself, from others, or for God? Is it social isolation, or do you hold other people at arm's length so they can't get close enough to hurt you? Do you drink to be able to ignore the pain, or do you watch porn to normalize and feel okay about your abuse? Whatever it is, know this, trees don't move. And so you might be able to hide amongst the trees, but if you want to move forward with your life, you're going to have to get up and walk. And so you can hide among the trees as long as you stay stagnant. But as soon as you move, you're exposed again. The trees are not good cover. You were not meant to hide yourself from the guilt. And I know I've I've presented some uh, heavy things. And you might be asking yourself right now, why should I believe this guy uh, that I don't have to hide my guilt, that I don't have to hide my shame, that I don't have to run from God when I see my sinfulness. And it's a really, really simple answer. And it's because in response to sin, God actually draws near to you. While when we see sin, we run away from God. When God sees our sin, he actually runs towards us. Romans 5, chapter, uh, Romans 5, chapter 5 verse 8 actually says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how he demonstrates his great love for us. And so God loves us so much that he sees your brokenness. He knows your deepest, darkest secret. He knows everything that I've ever done or that you've ever done. And he still died for us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And it goes even further. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This tells us that God doesn't expect us to be perfect. There's an admission that believers will sin if anyone does sin. And he goes on to say, if you sin, believer, listen, you have an advocate with the Father, a big brother who goes before you and says, God, remember what I did. We love him. You have a friend in Jesus. And Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25 says that consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through himself since he always lives to make intercession for them. We get this picture that Jesus is standing between us and God and saying, remember, remember what I've done. Remember my sacrifice, remember my love, remember my goodness, remember my perfection, remember my holiness, remember my goodness and my care for you. And this reminder is not simply for God. God doesn't need to be reminded of what Jesus did. This reminder is for us. Because how quick are we to forget because of our distorted perspectives that God loves us, that he sees us, that he cares for us, and that he is with us. And so hear me say very clearly, you have an advocate and an intercessor with the Father named Jesus Christ the righteous who does not expect perfection from you, but expects you to walk with him in an intimate and obedient relationship. If you feel shame, Jesus is the one who can give you dignity. 
And if you feel guilt and fear, Jesus is the one who can give you grace and restore you to freedom. Our ambassador, and he loves us so much. As I've been thinking about this talk, uh, my, my vision and my perspective has been continually on my mind. And the one image that's continued to come to me is my glasses. And without my glasses on, I literally can't see you guys in the front row. I mean that. Uh, I think that's actually the Espinosa twins right there. Uh, it is, uh, which is great. But I think I saw them before I took these off. But I can't see, y'all. But when I put these back on, I actually can see. Hey, Espinosa twins. I actually can see a little bit. And when we walk with Jesus, while on earth, our distorted perspectives will never totally change, we will still have some distortion, we do have healing. And God can do that work of regeneration, which so many of you are experiencing right now, and he can begin to restore and change your perspective in this world. So walk with him. Ask him to give you a new and renewed perspective on this world. Ask him to show you his great love, his peace, his freedom, and his joy. Let me, uh, I was gonna pray, but actually I'd love to introduce you guys to my friend Jen, who actually also understands uh, this renewed perspective that God has given me, has given many of you, and she's been able to walk in this freedom that God has given her. So would you guys join me in welcoming Jen to the stage?